Hello, and welcome to Holly History, where we discuss what you want to hear. Bringing you the story and answering your questions. No fake news, no alternative facts. Just history, all the time. Hello and welcome to Holly History. We discussed you on here. Mr. D back here again today taking you through the second part on our Civil Rights Movement series. And this episode could be a little bit longer. I hope not. But, you know, I'd like to keep it to that 20-30 minute range if we can. You know, good for review. Keep your attention. And I uh, hope you enjoy this one. So we left off last episode talking about, you know, we talked about the desegregation of the armed forces, Brown versus Board of Education, Montgomery bus boycotts, the Freedom Rides, the Little Rock Nine. We talked about all those things and the themes of, you know, pre- you know, uh, civil disobedience, nonviolence, getting the media to pay attention. That puts pressure on the federal government to take action to affect change. And this formula seems to work. We're going to see this formula keep working. And I want to start today because I also talked at the end about, you know, how many Americans in the South and other parts of the country, for that matter, were angry enough to act violently and to, you know, take action against civil rights movement or, you know, how many Americans, uh, white Americans, for that matter, other people of other backgrounds, you know, marched with African-Americans. So let's let's take a look at some of that. And I, I read a piece not long ago um, by a historian um, who works for the Southern Poverty Law Center. And uh, they do a lot of work on this stuff. And I, I read the piece quite in depth and it was it was interesting. And I think I had, I guess, my suspicions confirmed. But, you know, let's look at a couple of things from the time period. Let's look at the election of 1968. And this is all in the piece that I read. Um, George Wallace, 1968, governor of Alabama. He runs for president as a third party. He does not run as a Republican or Democrat. So in 1968, and he runs openly, you know, Confederate flags on the basis that segregation now, segregation always, um, you know, publicly he says things like that. And he'll win Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia. He'll win those states, a third party candidate. So that gives you an idea that, you know, th- there's significant support for that that message. However, though, a lot of other things that I've read have suggested that there are a lot of Southerners and Americans fell into a couple of different categories. Number one, the outright intense race uh, racism of, you know, you see people attacking the Freedom Riders. You see people attacking the people who are uh, do the sit-ins in places like Greensboro, right, and some of the other things we're going to talk about in this episode. So there is that group, the outright anti-integration, um, pro-segregation, you know, Ku Klux Klan style type of thing. Um, you do see that, and that group is, you know, from all the research I've done, it's there. It's not a humongous group. I, it's definitely not the majority, um, but it exists because you do see these atrocities happening, and we're going to get to more today. Bombings, you know, all kinds of things, murders. So the second group, or the opposite, and this group is is probably a bit smaller than that first group I mentioned, maybe a similar size. Again, it's hard to uh, to gauge that, but this group of people... You know, they were the complete opposite. They actually supported, they marched 
uh, for African American rights and other causes, and they they joined with and these these are Southerners. You know, not all Southerners were against this kind of thing. So I want to you know make that clear that that there was a significant group of people who marched with civil rights activists, um, and were involved. So that's the second group I want to talk about. Talk about the third group, and this is the, all the research I've done by far the largest group of people were the silent ones in the middle um, that didn't know how they felt. They might lean one way or the other between those other two groups, but weren't very active in taking part. And, you know, it really makes me think of Dr. King, and he'll speak about this, that, you know, you can't remain silent, you know. Um, it, it kind of, these these protests almost pushed Americans out of that third group into one of the other two. Um, you know, I, I like to think that a lot of it, the protests and the marches pushed Americans out of this this middle ground, silent ground, into the group that you know supported African American rights or you know would like to see change. But by far and away, this third group is the largest group, and everything was happening so quickly and so um, at such a rapid rate of change that many Americans in this third group, this I'm not sure how I feel or what I think. I, I do think this is awful what's happening to these people, but I don't know what to do. Um, it's all happening so fast that they don't have time to react and there's so much change and they're kind of, you know, sort of caught in the middle there. So I, I do think of all the things that I've read that that is the largest group. And, you know, this this obviously can be debated, but um, students often ask me that. So, you know, there's, you know, you have the George Wallace 1968 campaign, which suggests maybe a lot of Americans, especially in those southern states, felt that way. But you also have, you know, the fact that you have a lot of people marching with civil rights activists, young, you know, college students who are not African American and parts of other groups and, and all different walks of society. And, you know, similar to the Vietnam War, you know, another divisive thing from this time where, you have a lot of Americans who don't necessarily support the war, but they don't want to go out and protest it either. And I think on a lot of political issues, you see Americans, you know, just trying to survive. They're just trying to get by um, their lives. They're not very interested in politics, things like this, but they still feel and think about these things, but they're kind of caught in the middle. So I hope we did a decent job of answering that question. I know that was kind of a long one. So we left off with the Freedom Rides picking up. Uh, I want to pick up in the spring of 1963 in Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham was known as the most segregated city in America uh, with Sheriff Bull Connor. And Bull Connor um, warned Dr. King, you know, Dr. King is planning a march there. He's planning some demonstrations and many people in the civil rights organization um, movement, excuse me, think that if you can desegregate Birmingham, you can desegregate anywhere in America and have success with their civil disobedience, nonviolence tactics. And um, Bull Connor, the sheriff of Birmingham, outwardly said, do not march, um, kind of puts up like a faulty, you know, law there that, you know, if you march and demonstrate, you'll be, you know, arrested. And so in 1963, uh, right at the beginning, this is a huge moment in the civil rights movement and will ultimately be the final nail in the coffin to put pressure on Kennedy and, and his administration to affect real change here. And so what happens is King's arrested very early on in the demonstration and Bull Connor will actually um, turn fire hoses, attack dogs on the marchers. And these images, I encourage you, go Google them, Birmingham 963. Um, people are bit, they're 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 assaulted and thrown into jail. Um, King, like I said, is arrested in the beginning, and he pens this letter from Birmingham jail, this passionate um, letter, and he's he's upset, and he goes after kind of you know that that silent group of Americans that I talked about that don't know what to feel or think, and he challenges them to to sort of take a take a side type of thing, 
and um, he has this this message coming out in the, in this letter. It's so so well written. He wrote it on uh, wrote excuse me wrote it on um, the margins of newspapers and toilet paper part of it because he didn't have any paper available to him in there. And he he really he has this message you're going to hear from him often that African Americans want to be part of that American dream. That he 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 will say my dream is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream of equality and all men created equal and this promise you know and things like the Declaration of Independence. Um, he'll say later in a speech in 1968, the night before he dies, actually, you know, all we're saying to America is be true to what you're saying on paper. So there's that element there in his letter that comes out, comes ringing clear in the Birmingham letter that he sends. And there's actually a second march after this first round. And again, media outlets are all there, images across the world. The Cold War is going on. The Kennedy administration is very concerned with their image around the world because, again, we're trying to win the hearts and minds of other countries that, that, you know, our way is the best way, and, and this does not make us look necessarily great. And George Wallace, the governor of Alabama, would say, yeah, I, I don't really care what the rest of the world thinks of Alabama. Um, but the Kennedy administration does. So the second march involved a lot of young students and young people, and they were also marched off the jail. Again, cameras, photos, all there for this. And eventually, King and uh, leaders of um, Birmingham come to an agreement to desegregate. However, right after King leaves, and, and Birmingham is going to be the site of a lot of tension, right after King leaves, there's a lot of turmoil still, and the there's a bomb that goes off outside his his room when he leaves. Um, he, he's not there. He, he had left the city at that point. But it's almost this this precursor that um, of, of un, unrest that's going to come in the 60s. You know, the Civil Rights Movement achieved so much in the way of, uh, of law and um, expanding you know, the promises of the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment and those kinds of things. But there's there's like that, that positive uplifting story, but there's also a lot of uncertainty too. And I'm going to try to do my best to, to toe that line as best that I can. A lot of textbooks will have you think, you know, the story ends with the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act we're going to get to, but it does not end there. Um, there's a lot, or, and that's not the whole story. You know, it's not, it's not always the rosiest pictures I'm about to, to go through right now. So... King leaves, uh, there's the, the, that first bombing, and Kennedy takes notice right there in Birmingham that, and he comes out in a speech publicly and will say, you know, race is no place in America, and will openly support a civil rights law. Um, so after that, in the summer of 1963, is the very famous march in Washington, which over 200,000 people take part in. They will march from the Washington Monument to the Lincoln Memorial, and this is when Dr. King and others would give famous speeches. King will give his famous I Have a Dream speech. And um, this is really demonstrates the overwhelming momentum that the civil rights movement had in 1963. There is about to be some very serious violent pushback, though. You will see things like um, the murder of Medgar Evers in 1963, not long after Kennedy's address, that I could go really far into. Uh, I've, I've obviously left a lot of important things out that you could talk about. There's you know, the, the slaying of Emmett Till, all sorts of things. But I want to focus on a few that that really fit this narrative well. Not that the other ones don't. This just, you know, crunch your time in these shorts. And um, the violent pushback that comes to my mind first and foremost because it happens only, you know, a couple weeks after the March on Washington is the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, which was the center for much of the planning of the protests. The Children's March that happened in Birmingham in the spring of 63 started at the 16th Street Church, the Baptist Church. Um, there was a bombing that took place there on a Sunday morning, and 15 people were injured, and four very, very young um, African American girls were killed in this bombing. And it just breaks your heart when you see stories like this. 
and read about it. And when I talk about the human element, you know, these are people's children and there, you know, there, there are people who are killed in this. This is not something to take lightly. This is serious stuff. And it's all in the name of, you know, civil rights. You know, I talked about in the first episode, what, what are you willing to put in line? How much are you willing to sacrifice? You know, and what, right? And then not long after that, Kennedy, of course, assassinated in November of 1963. There's much in question, you know, about his death, what's going to happen. Uh, his vice president, will, will Lyndon Baines Johnson, carry on the torch? And um, LBJ does. And he will get the Civil Rights Act passed in 1964, um, avoiding you know, a, a filibuster by Southern Democrats uh, to try to prevent the, this passing law. The Civil Rights Act of 1964, you got to know this. It largely focused on segregation and uh, it ended in areas that were private and it used the Commerce Clause similar to the Freedom Riders kind of thing in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. It lays out legislative powers that, that Congress can regulate um, businesses and things that interact over state lines, and the Supreme Court upheld that. That was the one thing that the 14th Amendment originally didn't apply to, was like private places. It was the government um, and segregation and equality under the law. But the Civil Rights Act 1964, like I said, largely focused on desegregating places, um, trying to make good that promise of the Brown ruling. Um, obviously, still even after 1964, with the Civil Rights Act, desegregation happens slowly, but that law being there, uh, it is huge, and, and it is the reason that you're going to see the civil rights you know movement have even more success. So the Civil Rights Act 64, very famous moment. LBJ will sign it in the Oval Office. He'll give Dr. Uh, Dr. King one of the pens. He signs it with King is there along with other civil rights leaders. So the 1964 Civil Rights Act was a, a big moment in the civil rights movement, an important moment for those that have worked for it and uh, worked towards desegregation. So, you know, crowning moment, huge achievement, but, you know, again, not the end of the story, not the only part of the story as we keep going here. And I'm going to come back to, you know, you got to know that, right? Civil Rights Act 964, huge moment, got to know it for Regents exams, remember it. Next focus we're going to come to is uh, voting, and we're going to kind of come back to this violent pushback you're going to see too in the story. The voting is important. I talked about this last episode in large part because it has a direct impact on your local life in localities, state-level governments, county-level governments, townships. And for, since the 15th Amendment passed, which was designed to give African-American men only the right to vote in uh, 1870, you know, since that time, if you could keep African-Americans from voting, you could keep Southern life segregated, separate, the same as, bef- you know, almost as close to slavery as you wanted to get following the Civil War, you could keep life very similar if you can control local government. How do you control local government? Through elections. And do not, by denying African Americans the right to vote, even though they have that right on paper, you can do that. Now, how did they do this? Remember, poll taxes, literacy tests, right? Most African Americans following Reconstruction um, did not have a lot of money, and they could not pay the poll tax. So there's one one way to keep uh, African Americans from voting. Second way, literacy tests. You know, and, and a lot of these literacy tests were very bogus, right? Um, some of the questions were ridiculous, and you know they just were a, a farce way to keep people from voting and maintain control of that government. Um, so after the Civil Rights Act, the focus comes to voting, right? Okay, we've got the desegregation issue on a good handle. Now let's get voting on a good handle. We move on from the 14th Amendment to the 15th Amendment. And the problem with the 15th Amendment was it just said, you know, the reasons you can't discriminate um on who can vote. It says uh, race, color, and previous servitude. doesn't say anything about a tax, you know. It doesn't say anything about um, about the ability to read and write, you know, the, the bogus literacy test. 
So they, you had to have something add to that to close those kind of loopholes that some southern governments found. So this focus goes now to voting, right? Control the maintain, that get that local control, that local say. And we see the Freedom Summer in 1964 in Mississippi and elsewhere. Mississippi was the big push to get African Americans registered to vote in the South. And in some elections in Mississippi, this is an evidence of how few African Americans were voting. Less than 7% of black populations were voting in Mississippi in 1964 and before, which is is insanely small. Um, again, we come back to this violent pushbacks. Many workers met with violence, and three young men in one case, um, two were white, one African American male, uh, were killed in Philadelphia, Mississippi. And it's the basis for the film Mississippi Burning. I encourage you to go, you know, take a ch- uh, check that film out, do some research first, you know, take a look at that film. Eighth graders with parent permission because it is very, uh, I think, I believe it's rated R. Um, there's a manhunt launch for those held responsible, and. Again, we see few people within this time frame held responsible, kind of going back to the 16th Street bombing. Um, They'll bring people up on civil rights charges, but it's not until much later that many people who commit these crimes are held responsible, um, and and even to a lesser degree and lesser charge in a lot of cases. So, again, and that, that just makes even more people upset. You know, they, you're demanding justice. You want justice. You hope for justice. And in many of these cases, it won't come until, you know, years down the road. The Freedom Summer did not gain many new voters. It didn't register a ton of people. But again, the, the, the murders in Philadelphia, Mississippi, the, the images across the country, the, the challenges all brought attention to this issue and will get the ball rolling into Lyndon Baines Johnson and his administration, sounding like by 1964, late in 65, that they also want a voting rights bill the following year to add on to the civil rights bill. So again, these strategies of nonviolence, um, nonviolent civil disobedience seem to be working. And the following spring, we have the very famous Selma march from, um, from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama in 65. Um, when the march has first begun, there's the, the infamous Bloody Sunday in which people are, are clubbed and attacked, and the, the demonstrators are not able to complete the march. Um, Lyndon Bates Johnson responds will federalize the National Guard and escort them for the 54-mile march in demonstration of, of you know the hope that a Voting Rights Act will come. By that summer, just like the summer before, the Voting Rights Act will pass. Again, the 15th Amendment cannot um, talk about race, color, and previous servitude, but it allowed for poll taxes, literacy tests, those loopholes to happen. Voting Rights Act will eliminate those completely. And so the new state law practices will have to happen due to the Voting Rights Act. This is where in a lot of textbooks the narrative ends of the civil rights movement. And it shouldn't. Because the 14th, um, excuse me, the 1964 Civil Rights Act and the 1965 Voting Rights Act, they are huge. They're enormously important. You have to know about them. But it's not the entire story. And it, and it, it's not always like that happy ending, right? History doesn't always have a happy ending. And that idea leaves out quite a bit. And I've left out quite a bit as well. Um, I'm not going to get to the the Black Panthers, the Black Power Movement. I encourage you to go look at those, to, you know, research them, check it out. Um, but... In 1965, it's a good place to pick up kind of another branch of the civil rights movement and at least mention it, and that's the assassination of Malcolm X. Malcolm X had a different message than Dr. King, and their relationship wasn't always solid. Um, they, doc, doc, excuse me, Malcolm X um, really saw that there was too much past for African Americans and whites to integrate to... Um, you know, to, to, to get along, he's very different than the message of Dr. King, who would say, you know, my dream is a dream rooted in the, in the American dream. And he didn't really have the same kind of outlook that King had of unification. He didn't preach the same nonviolent strategy. Um, 
So he's originally involved with this this group called the Nation of Islam, but he has a break with that group in 1965. He's actually assassinated by members um, of that group, although some see there's a new Netflix special on this. Some see that as controversial and that there's a lot of theories around his death and, and why he was killed. Uh, but just to mention Malcolm X and, and have you you know know about his message compared to King's is important because you know something definitely to look into. Three years later in 1968, Dr. King is assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee by James Earl Ray. And this is another example of, you know, King had lived his whole life with the idea of possibly being assassinated and death threats and, you know, bombings like in Birmingham in 63. But the death of both men, two very important guys in the civil rights movement, it brings a lot of um, anger in in the African-American community around the nation that, you know, two important people have just been killed. And there's a lot of people who are extremely upset and, and understandably so and discontent. And it's in the midst of the Vietnam War, the Cold War. I mean, America, 1968 is a tough year. And even Dr. King, by the end of towards the end of his life, if you watch that speech in Memphis he gives on it before he dies, it's chilling. Definitely go look it up. Um, but he, you know, he at the end of his life had come out against the Vietnam War and, and the civil rights movement was changing. And there's a lot left there that I definitely encourage you to go look at. Um, and check out. So the civil rights movement for African American ends with successes, but there's also, like I said, that uncertainty. And many people argue that it, it never ends, and that it's always growing, and uh, it, it will be a continuing open book of history. And the issues spread across different communities, not just African Americans. And this is where I kind of want to add some other um, some other stories here. And again, I'm not going to do these just as much as I could, but I do want to mention them. Uh, Hispanic Americans and the work of a guy like. Um, uh, Cesar Chavez, you know, forming the uh, UFWA, you know, he's also involved in labor, right? And he, he's similar to King, practices nonviolent civil disobedience. He'll use boycotts, marches, and um, some of the things he, that Chavez is concerned about are, you know, better pay for farm workers, um, better working conditions, you know, things that unions traditionally are concerned with. But he's also interested in social reform. And uh, he'll get involved with LGBTQ movements and, and better education for families, um, of these farm workers and, and, and getting them higher amounts of participation in the political process, getting ballots printed in different languages. And uh, he'll, he'll work through that throughout his whole life until his death in the 90s. So this is an also another kind of offshoot of the civil rights movement that is important and, and should be looked at too. And there's Native Americans as well and their struggle um, for, you know, rights and, and tribal rights during their time in American history. We could track back to the Westward Expansion Movement and, you know, the assimilation that happens under the Dawes Act, uh, the reallotment of land, reservations, and all this stuff. In the 1960s, you get this uh, organization called the American Indian Movement. And it's not the only one. There's a lot more on, uh, meat on the bone here to, to study and to look at. And many of the issues that Af uh, Native Americans, excuse me, are concerned with are tribal control of lands um, you know, we have this reservation. Do we are we able to control it? Are we able to have our say on it, um, our autonomy, uh, reservation life, things like electricity, you know, just basic uh, societal needs. And, you know, even still, there's a lot of continual push of assimilation in, in some parts of the nation, on some reservations that, um, you know, the, the, they're very, Native Americans are very concerned with the loss of their their culture. They don't want to see, you know, their languages disappear in their culture. Um, and one of the big moments is the occupation of Alcatraz Island in 1969 for over two years to 1971. And um, it was supposed to have ended up as a developmental area for, you know, whatever the developer wanted to do to the island. Um, but the Treaty of Fort Laramie 
over 100 years ago, which we looked at in the westward expansion, it did state that Native Americans could use government surplus land. Alcatraz, which had had prison on, had been closed for a long time. And uh, not long into the occupation of the island by Native Americans, you have over 400 people in Alcatraz. Uh, you can watch videos of one of the leaders, Richard Oakes and John Trudell, and some of the press coverage. It's fascinating stuff. And by 1964, with all of this, and there's much more that also happens, there's an incident wounded knee as well. Um, President Nixon actually takes many steps and increases the, the budget of the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Uh, he signs over 50 laws to support more tribal control of lands. And this is still a concern today, like the rest of the civil rights movement, that you know how much tribal control of lands Native Americans have um, and, and issues of that sort. So again, something else to look into from this, you know, from this civil rights unit. Um, for women, I like to trace back to the 19th Amendment, and we, we covered that in the previous show. It didn't stop there in the World War I and women's suffrage. Uh, Betty Friedan published a book, uh, the work The Feminine Mystique. It shows up in the Reeds exam sometimes, actually. And in it, she talks about the problem that has no name. Um, the displeasure of the, the role that some women have in society. You know, you think of the 1950s uh, housewife, you know, and many women had felt like they they hadn't lived for themselves, and her work talks a lot about that. Um, and a lot of the, the women's movement evolves into this, uh, this demand for an equal rights amendment, the ERA, which would remove legal distinctions between men and women. And it was introduced as early as 1923, but it was always tabled. And it comes back in 1971 after a decade of uh, women's activism. However, it never becomes an amendment. There was by, excuse me, bipartisan support in Congress um, for this amendment. It passed Congress. It was signed. It was good to go. But one of the things, to amend the Constitution, you need to vote from three-quarters of the states to ratify it. And that never happened. The work of some conservative uh, women prevented the ratification, um, led by a woman by the name of uh, Phyllis Schlafly. There's actually a new... I always mispronounce her name, so I'm sorry if I did. There's actually a work... Um, on Hulu, I believe it's on. FX made it. A lot of famous actresses are in it. Um, and it kind of, you know, talks about the ERA. But recently, Virginia, this is why history is important, because it's always ongoing, became the 38th state to ratify um, the Equal Rights Amendment. So the future of ERA could be different. That's that's definitely in the news just recently. So something to always look at. You also have uh, the LGBTQ community. And, you know, you have the famous Stonewall protests, right? On, and this goes all the way in the 1980s with HIV/AIDS. Um, Japanese Americans are also looking for the correction of uh, internment camps and and writing that wrong in the 19 late 70s and 80s. And so you know, I could go on and on and on about different groups of Americans and, and civil rights movements associated with them. And again, I'm sorry if I didn't do anything justice, but you know, I'm tr- I, this is a this is just the basis. You heard these things. Now go look at them. Go study for yourself. This is just the primer for you as the student to go learn and to go check it out. This is just the introduction. This is just the review. Um, so there's so many groups and so many things to look at. But one of the things with, with civil rights that I'm always fascinated by and I have to come back to, and we talk about the big figures a lot, but there's a lot of ordinary people in these stories. And those are the ones that I enjoy. They may not be tested on, they may not make the history books, but you can go find a lot. And you can just go ask people who are alive at the time, you know, what do you remember? And, you know, this is just as much history as it can be current events. You know, be a historian, ask the right questions, go look at this stuff. You know, because it is fascinating. And this is true of any of the units that I've done. Um, this will be the last show that I'm going to be doing kind of in the modern U.S. sense. Mr. Chrisman will be doing the next show, the next two shows, which will be the final of the modern thing, the modern U.S. 2 stuff 
in the 20th century, and I'll end up going back and doing some colonial American stuff. Yay, my favorite. But, you know, ending with this this unit made me think a lot about, you know, where society's at, what to think about, how to get politically involved. And I think it's uh, an uplifting, I feel very uplifted by, by all this. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, again, I know I didn't do everything justice that I needed to, but I wanted to mention it and probe you guys to go out, look, listen, read, and investigate. This has been Holly History. Thanks for listening.